0: But it's been said, it wasn't me, so I can't, I can't say it like it's an original, but it's been said that a big sun cannot do what a little candle can. And that's shine in the night. Shine in the night. It's, I don't care how big the sun is, it doesn't shine in the night. Obviously, it's not night. The sun's up. But we, you know what? We know through, uh, Brother Neil, Could you turn this up just a little, a little more? I kind of lost, lost that there. Thank you, Brother We know that through God's uh, revelation, and also through human experience, that God tends to do the opposite of what we think is best. He tends to work in ways that we don't expect. He tends to do things really the opposite of the way we thought things would turn out, doesn't He? Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9, God said this to Israel, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. And he says, Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. At another place, God said, Thou thoughtest that I was altogether as thyself. And he's essentially saying, Israel, I am nothing like you. I'm different. And when God is doing a work, mark it down. It will never be done the way that you or I think it should be done. Many times it never happens that way. And it's safe to say that God isn't stuck to one battle plan, He doesn't do that. Now, you might say, "Uh, wait a minute. I thought God doesn't change. You might say, I, "I thought I thought God doesn't change." Well, you're correct. God doesn't change. Malachi three six, uh, God says, "I am the Lord; I change not." Hebrews thir- uh, thirteen and verse eight, the Bible says, "Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever." So, see if God doesn't change, you 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 might ask, "How can you say that He changes?" How can He change His mind? How can He repent? How can He work differently than we think He ought to work? And this is going to be a really quick, brief lesson in theology. And here it is. God's character doesn't change. His character doesn't change. God is always just. God is always good. God is always holy. God is always love. God's character will never change, but the way that He chooses to accomplish His will many times changes. So, God... Or I should say it this way, who God is never changes, but what He does oftentimes change, changes. But uh, lest you have any fear about that, unless it makes you nervous, remember that everything God does flows through His character anyway. So however God changes, whatever He does in the, in, in, the, in the implementing of His will that is different from one time to another, have no fear. Everything flows to the character of God so that anything He does will always be just, it'll always be good, it'll always be holy, and it'll always be through love. Yep, absolutely. Want a couple examples? Judy does. All right, here we go. I'll give you a couple examples. Moses at the Red Sea, what did God tell him to do? Hold out the rod. Held out that rod. Cross they went. What happened with Joshua at the Jordan River? Another water parting, another insurmountable, impassable body of water that had overflowed its bounds and they couldn't get over it. So what did God tell him to do? Well, get the priests lined up, get the Ark of the Covenant when you're. When, you get, when your toes hit the water, that water will split. You know what they did by faith? They believed them. God even said, you haven't passed this way here before. You haven't gone like this before. This is new. And they trusted God and God parted the Jordan River. They went through on dry land just as they went through the dry land on the Red Sea with Moses. It was the same type of thing that was needed, but it was a different way that God did it. What about Moses fighting the Amalekites when Aaron and Hur had to hold up his arms through the battle while Joshua prevailed in battle. But then you come to the point when Joshua fighting Jericho. And what do they do? They march around walls. They don't do anything, but they just march. And then finally the seventh day, they march seven times and then blow the trumpet and the walls fall in and they ran up over the walls and they took the city. Different. Same God, different method. If you remember when Jesus was at Bethsaida, there was a blind man who came to him, and the Bible said he spit on his eyes. <laughs> it's pretty cool, actually. You notice he didn't do it to the blind woman. She'd have been like, ah! That's disgusting! I'll stay blind. Yeah. But then when Jesus was at the temple in John chapter 8, there is a blind man there as well, and the Bible says he spit into the dirt and made clay, and anointed his eyes. He he smeared that spit and clay over his eyes. It says, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. No, different. Same God, different tactics. So the character of God never changes, but the way God accomplishes His will and the people He chooses to use often change. Let me say it this way. God doesn't have a mold for service. God doesn't have a little cookie-cutter plan of who He uses for service. And so many times we try to pour people into a mold of what God ought to use and what He needs to do to accomplish His will. And God, every time, will say, no, I'm not doing that. That's not what I do. God doesn't use a mold for service. And this is what I want to look at and I want to see here in our chapter, in chapter 25 here in Genesis tonight, is how God is going to work here and how we're going to watch God work, but it begins here in chapter 25. And um, notice notice this in, in, in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 25. We see Abraham goes ahead and he remarries. Sarah has died, and he remarries, and he has six children with this new wife. Now, when Sarah died, she was what? 127, if I remember right, would have made Abraham 137. So, at about 137, which is when Ishmael died, Ishmael died at 137. So, when Ishmael is about dead at 137, his dad Abraham's getting remarried. And then he has six children. Well, that kills him. That finally did him in. But before he dies, after those six kids, he gives everything to Isaac. And all the other six kids from his other wife, that concubine, she's called a concubine, he gives some parting gifts, and he sends them out of Canaan, and he he sends them on east. A little parting gift, see you later, bye-bye. Here's your goat, here's your chicken. Nice knowing you. Isaac gets everything, you just get... It's like the price is right, you know? Remember that show? Is that still on? Is that thing on? Yeah. Thanks for showing up, loser. Here's your gift. You didn't win anything, but here's the little parting gift. Or the what's the other one? Wheel of Fortune, they get parting gifts, don't they? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You're not good at figuring out words, so here's you this. Yeah. So that's what these six kids got. And so then in verse 7 of chapter 1, Abraham calls it quits at about 175. Could you imagine being 175 years old? Now, I guess if I felt like this at 150, I'd be all right, but that, that ain't happening. So, Abraham dies, and Isaac and Ishmael bury Abraham, bury him next to Sarah. And in verse 11, the Bible says that God blesses Isaac. Look at this. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt by the well, Lahai-Roi. And then in verses 12 through 18, we're going to see the lineage of Ishmael. And as I said, he's going to live to be about 137. We see that in verse 17. And these are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. And he gave up the ghost and died, and was gathered unto his people. So, this ends the life of Abraham and the life of Ishmael. And then in verses 19-34, we're picking up with the life of Isaac. And so here we're going to have the family of Isaac, beginning in verse 19. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan, Aram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. And so Isaac gets married at 40 years old, and Rebekah and is going to be barren for the first 20 years of their marriage. And the Bible says that Isaac a- asked God for a son, You realize there has to be a son for the Messiah to come. Abraham, his father, had this same dilemma. Here I am. How old am I? I don't have a son. God, you're promising me a son. I don't have a son. And Isaac here is in the same place 20 years into marriage. And he's thinking, if this Messiah is coming, there's got to be a son. If the promise is going to be to me, there's got to be a son. And the Bible says he beseeches God. He inquires of God for a son. And God allows Rebekah to conceive. But Rebecca notices that there's something weird going on inside of her. It's like, yeah, it's called a kid. That's a child. I don't know what that feels like, thank the Lord. I have no clue what that's like. So, (laughs) oh, the, the benefits of being a man, huh? So she notices something weird's going on. And look at verse 22 and 23. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? Because you got a kid in you. But she went to inquire of the Lord. But it wasn't just one kid. There's two. Two kids. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Now notice what God tells her here. You have two nations inside of you. Two nations are inside of you. Two manner of people are inside of you. One is going to be stronger than the other. The elder is going to serve the younger. That's totally out of character and out of pattern. So good news, Isaac, you're having twins. Yep. This is the family, this is the lineage of Isaac that we get in here in verses 19 on through, oh, down to verse, really down to verse 34. So the third thing I notice here in this chapter, we have, this sounds silly, the same womb, but opposite boys. Totally, completely opposite sons. Take careful note of the difference between these brothers. In verse 1, e, or I'm sorry, in, in verse 25, Esau, look what it says about Esau. Like, how, this is the first thing that they said. Verse 25, and the first came out red. <laughs> okay. Esau, you're red. And all over, all over, like a hairy garment. You're like a wool sweater, man. You're like, <laughs> you ever had a baby come out red like a wool sweater? It's like, wow, that's one hairy kid. Yeah. And so they named him Esau. You know what they called it? You know what Esau means? I love this. Harry. That's exactly what it means. They were so original. I mean, it's like Harry. It's like this, you know, Saskatchewan woolly mammoth comes along when you call Harry, you know? It's like Esau. You know, here he comes. Hair everywhere. Yeah. The Bible says he was a cunning hunter. In verse 27, he was a man of the field. Well, obviously, with that much testosterone he's going to be outside hunting and killing and eating animals right out of the right out of the woods right no two opposite boys are going on here don't don't miss this jacob the bible says in verse 27 was a plain man dwelling in tents that word plain there means perfect not like you think perfect it means mature he did he lacked nothing Everything was there in Jacob. He he was a mature individual. He was dwelling in tents. He was a little more cultured than Harry. (laughs) Yeah. Esau lived in the wild. Jacob lived with air conditioning. Esau killed animals and ate them. You'll see on down here, Jacob made soup. (laughs) I don't like soup. Unless it's really cold out and it's chilly and it has meat in it. Okay, that's okay. I'll call that soup. Other than that, it's like I need meat. But Jacob likes soup. He made soup. He was a, he was a cook. Isaac loved tough Esau, his dad. His dad loved Isaac. He loved Harry. Rebecca, she liked Jacob. See the differences. In verse twenty nine, you see how Esau was irrational and compulsive. And Jacob, in verse 31, was calculating. Esau lived in the now. Watch this. Jacob was looking to the future. See the two different personalities going on here? Two completely different men. Came out of the same womb. But the next thing I want to look at is the birthright. The birthright. What is this thing? Here we have Jacob and Esau. We have two totally different people. And in verse 31, the calculating of Jacob. Remember, Esau is compulsive. He comes in from a long day of hunting. He hasn't eaten in who knows how long. Obviously, he wasn't that great of a hunter. Well, the Bible says he was a cunning hunter. He was good, but he was running out of some luck here. Had nothing to eat. Came in about to die, I guess. And he asked Jacob to feed him. And uh, the Bible so he says, feed me, I pray thee, Was that same red pottage. From, he's so hungry, he's like, just give me soup, man. I don't care, I need something. And calculating, Jacob says, okay, sell me your birthright. Esau's like, man, I'm going to die. What's that gonna do? What good is the birthright going to do me if I'm dead? Fine, I'll, take, I'll sell you my birthright. Well, what is the birthright? Well, in those days, it was customary that the eldest son received what was called the birthright. This was, I, I mentioned this this morning. It was called the right of the firstborn. The oldest son would receive a double portion of his father. He would receive his portion of the inheritance. It's what you get in the inheritance. He would receive his portion of the inheritance, and he would also receive a second portion of the inheritance, because when the father died, that eldest son would kind of like take over, like the patriarch of the family. He was now responsible. I really believe, although in in the Bible where it says Laban and Bethuel, made that decision for, for, Rachel, for Rebecca to marry Isaac, if you notice, it was, it, it was uh, Laban who came out and talked with the servant of Abraham. It was Laban who asked Rebecca what she wanted to do. It was Laban and it said Rebecca's mother that seemed to make the decisions for Rachel, not Bethuel. I think Bethuel was already gone. And so when the Bible says that Laban and Bethuel, you know, asked her, it was essentially saying Laban was talking in the place of Bethuel because he was the right of the firstborn and he was taking over the responsibility of his father who was gone. That's what I just, that's kind of what I think happened there. So essentially when it says Laban and Bethuel, it really was the authority of Bethuel was passed on to Laban as the right of the firstborn. That's what it means, the right of the firstborn. Now you're in charge when dad dies. So, even in Deuteronomy, listen to Deuteronomy chapter 27, verses 1 through 17. The Bible says this. God, God is talking about the right of the firstborn here. If a man have two wives, one beloved and another hated, think what's coming up here. Jacob. Jacob was going to get married in a little while. Rachel. Yeah! Leah. Oh, right? Uh, listen what God says about this. If a man have two wives, one beloved and the other hated, and they have borne him children, both the beloved and the hated, and if the firstborn be hers that was hated, listen what God says, then it shall be when he maketh his sons to inherit that which he hath, that he may not make the son of the beloved firstborn before the son of the hated, which is indeed the firstborn. No, listen, Bubba, if you got two wives, and and you just like Jacob and Leah and Rachel, and you just don't like that one that you had to marry, and she'd be the one who really has the first son, no, that's the first son. You can't give it to the the wife that you really wanted, that first son, Joseph. No, you can't. God, God, God was dealing with this. He says, But he shall acknowledge the son of the hated for the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he hath, for he is the beginning of his strength, the right of the firstborn is His, God said. In Genesis forty-three thirty-three, when the brothers come before Joseph, that when he was sold in Egypt, they came down in the famine, and it says this, and they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth, and the men marveled one at another. Joseph had them sat down in order, and the men were going, how does Egyptian know this? Because <laughs> he's not an Egyptian, he's your brother. Yeah. So even in our text tonight, we saw Abraham leaving everything to Isaac, the firstborn of Sarah. This, this, is, this is the whole birthright thing. And even though Ishmael was born to Abraham first, Hagar was not his wife. Sarah was. Hagar was a concubine. They made that mistake. But God only recognized Sarah as the wife. Isaac was the firstborn. And He got the the right of the firstborn. And can we forget Jesus Christ? We look at this this morning. The firstborn of every creature, the Bible says, and how He is the heir of all things. Jesus has the right of the firstborn. And I think we can be emphatic and say, God is well aware of the right of the firstborn, and He uses it to show the rights of Jesus Christ and all of those who come to Him by faith. So the right of the firstborn is an acceptable method of God Let me slow down and say this again. The right of the firstborn is an acceptable method to God in passing on possessions and authority in the family. God says, I acknowledge that. He has sanctioned that. Let me use that word. But wait a minute. The messianic line we know is going to pass through Jacob, Esau is the firstborn. But, the, but that Messianic line, we know it's going through Jacob. I mean, we've got the whole book. We can read it all, right? You are reading it this week, right? <laughs> Jim is. Thank you, brother. No, lo- lo- logic should hold that because of the law of the firstborn, the line of the Messiah should pass through the, all of the firstborns beginning with Isaac. Every, we would think that the, the 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 laws of inheritance should pass through every firstborn after Isaac. But it doesn't. The second generation in with Isaac and, 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 um, and, and Rebecca, the line's going to veer from the firstborn and it's going to go to the secondborn now. You're like, I can't keep up with this. I'll bring it all together. Just sit tight. I hope, uh, hope I can. So for some reason here, God isn't working through the natural channels. God is not working through channels that He sanctions. And the right of the firstborn. No, listen, the right of the firstborn is a big thing because we're talking about Jesus Christ. We're talking about a picture of Jesus Christ. This is big. Yeah. So actually, from Jacob to Mary, God isn't going to work through the natural channels at all, is He? Time and time again, God changes His method. There's going to be a departure from the firstborn we're going to see Gentiles in the line of Jesus Christ. What Gentiles? How did that happen? There's going to be murderers in the line of Jesus Christ, David. There's going to be harlots in the line of Jesus Christ. And there are going to be the most unlikely people in the lineage of the Messiah. So what does it all mean? What does all of this have to do with anything at all? Have you ever noticed that we have preconceived ideas with who God desires to use in his service? Remember we we're talking about a mold. You know who makes molds? We do. No, God doesn't make molds for people to fit into just to you know, he, he doesn't if we're going to serve God, God doesn't have this little mold of a box and it's perfect. And if you fit in that, okay, I'll use you. But if you don't, I'm not using you. No, God doesn't do that. We do that. We have preconceived ideas of who God desires to use. You see what's going on here? God is going outside of what we think he ought to do. And everything is going to go to Jacob instead of Esau. And I know, I'm not going to, we're going to get into this later in the other messages on uh, Esau sold his birthright. It was his own choice. And uh, we're going to look at that. But, you know, some people think that there are certain requirements to be used by God. And we know in certain positions within the ministry there are requirements. If, the man off, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. And then we get a list of what that man ought to do. He ought to be the husband of one wife. He ought to have his children in all gravity and rule his own house well. He can't be a striker. He can't be one who's just ready to fight all the time. Ugh. He can't be, given to, he can't be uh, given to wine. He can't be a drunk or given to any alcohol. I mean, in the, there's a list that goes on of requirements for a pastor. There's a list that goes on for a deacon. Do you know he has all the same qualifications of a pastor? The deacon does. Yep. But God does have some qualifications for service. But those aren't the qualifications we usually look at. Watch this. We usually look at the qualifications of personality and physical traits and abilities. God looketh, Man looketh on the outward, and God looketh upon the heart. Right? So some people think there are certain requirements to be used by God. Some people think there are certain personality types that God likes to use. And some people think that God only uses people with certain abilities. Now, I wrote a list. I like lists. That people, I think at times, all of us can come up with when we're trying to look at somebody who fits the mold of who God might use. Maybe these might sound familiar to you. Maybe you can think of a few others. Somebody may say this, God only uses those that are young enough. And then they'll say, Oh, well, God only uses those that aren't too young. (laughs) Not a novice. Somebody may say, God only uses those who are men. God uses those... Now watch this. What ends up is we, end up, we, send, we, we tend to pan out across the, 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 the horizon and we look at individuals and we think, oh God, within churches and we say, oh God's going to use them. Oh God's going to use them. Oh God's going to use them. And some of you that have been around long enough, the ones that you think that God was going to use never got used. And the ones that you thought were the most unlikely to be used, God did something great with them. Yeah. Boy, he's tall. Just, he, just, he just has a commanding presence about him. Listen to that voice. Oh. Just draws you in. Yeah. They think, oh, they, well, God will use that. He might. He might not. People may say, well, that, that, that dude, he's smart. Boy, God, God, will, God is going to use that. God is going to use that young man. He's brilliant. They're from a Christian family. They have three generations of preachers. Oh, God's going to use him. You ever seen those? Maybe they're wealthy. They think God will use them. Maybe they're poor. God will use them. Some people think you've got to be rich to be used of God. Some people think you've got to be a poor in a church mouse to be used of God. Yeah. Some think you've got the, the man who's tough and strong and He's got grit and he never backs down and he's, oh, he's angry at everybody. That's who God uses, yeah. And then some people think the guy who's meek and mild and never raises his voice and, yeah. Nobody's afraid of him whatsoever. That's who God uses, yeah. Might look at one who's good looking and you can just see them. They just, they fit the mold, Right? Or maybe there's the one that's less than good looking and you think, no, that's who God needs to use because he won't be so proud. (laughs) Right? These are all things that as humans we think about. Now you know what I think about, right? No, I've just heard all these. No, we may think that person's got a great clean background. No great sin in their life. They haven't been through the dregs of the world and dragged through the muck of the world. They haven't done this and they haven't done that. God will really use them. Or you might look at another and they say, boy, they're, 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 they've had such a sordid background. It's They're kind of like those ones that get uh, get um, um, kind of propped up in the uh, the evangelistic uh, uh, circuit you know they 're they're, they're sent out to all the churches to tell how life awful their life was and what God did for them, and all they have great ministries because they were an absolute wretch in the filth of the world, and God did something wonderful well he does something wonderful in those that aren 't the rich in the wretched backgrounds either, but sometimes, you, you see what i you see what i 'm trying to lay out here I, I hope this makes sense molds we make molds. For, for the type of person and the personality and the ability of we think that God is looking for and using somebody to do what He wants to accomplish, molds. And it's very easy to put parameters around people that God doesn't put parameters, that God doesn't play. God doesn't do that. We tend to do it. We tend to put parameters around people and God doesn't. You know what the point of all this is tonight? Do you know God you know what God's only checklist is for a man or a woman who desires? Let me say let me rephrase this. How do I say this? I said it wrong. The only checklist, I'll say it this way the only checklist God has for those that will serve Him. Is one who has a heart and a desire to serve him. No, that's it. I'm not talking about specific responsibilities within the church as a pastor or a deacon, such as that. I'm talking because, because there's places for everybody to serve, there's places for everybody to do. God's only checklist that he has is one who desires to serve him. You know, God used Caleb and he was 80, but he used Josiah who was 16. when he he came to God. God used Ruth and Esther. He used a brilliant Apostle Paul and he used a bunch of unlearned fishermen. He used Timothy who came from a dysfunctional family with a Jewish mother and a Greek father. And he used Abraham who was wealthy and Gideon who was poor. I think of Gideon also who was absolutely passive. Remember when he came... Thou mighty man of valor, I'm hiding... What do you mean, mighty man of valor? I'm hiding. When God told him to get rid of all of the idols of his father, he goes, can I do it tonight when nobody's watching? And he did. God called it obedience. He didn't rebuke him for it. Why? He knew it. He was passive. He was passive. He wasn't strong. But God used Gideon. But God also used the apostle uh, apostle Peter and King Saul, who were big and tough. I mean, Peter's whacking ears off with a sword just because somebody said something he didn't like. <laughs> put up your sword in your sheath, Peter. Clunk, put the ear back on. Uh, you think, I mean, you ever read that? and You think, and they just walked away from the whole thing of the ear? That guy left with his ear back on, going, okay, let's go. I'm like, it wouldn't make you stop and go, huh? <laughs> that was cool. Yeah. Elijah was bold, and a bunch of kids made fun of him because of his looks they only did it once a, bunch, a bear came out and killed them all <laughs> yeah careful making fun of bald people Elijah was bald and David was good looking David had a good background and a good lineage Hezekiah not so good it's most likely that Hezekiah maybe watched his brother off be offered to, to Molech. His father was so wicked. Do you see what I'm saying? The point is, God doesn't have a mold to serve him. No, God went outside of what we thought He should have done here with Jacob and Esau. God went outside of the, the, the right of the firstborn. He went outside of that. And we have Jacob who has come along, who is not the firstborn, who is in the lineage of the Messiah. You know what God's going to do with Jacob? He's going to bring Jacob along he's eventually. His name means supplanter, and he is. He's cunning. He, he, he's, he's conniving. But God's going to bring Jacob. Listen, you who God chooses, listen, he, he, can, he can make ready to use how he wants him to use. And he brings Jacob along and he finally comes to a place with him when, he, when he's out there and God comes to him and he says, what's your name? He says, Jacob. He says, you've rightly said. You know what God did to Jacob? He finally brought him to a place where he admitted who he was. When he wrestled with God that night, he went away with a limp. And God used him in a mighty way after that night. And that's what God, listen, that's what God will do. with some. It's not the mold you fit. It's not the certain background you have. It's not the intellect you have. It's it's none of that. It's a heart who desires to serve God, and you know what He'll do? He'll bring you to a place to admit who you are, admit what you are, and He will then use you. In whatever capacity He wishes. Whatever the capacity is. Psalm 34 and verse 18, the Bible says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. No, that's what God wants. A broken heart and a contrite spirit. 2 Chronicles 16.9 The Bible says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. And he was, the prophet was rebuking Asa. And he said, Herein hast thou done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Asa had known the mighty work of God in his life. And he turned from that in pride. And that prophet said, listen, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Remember Isaiah 6? I saw also the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple talks about the cherubims and the seraphims around the throne of God. Holy, holy, holy. And he said, remember, the the, the angels brought the... He said, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And he said, then he heard from heaven. He he said, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Do you realize God didn't say that to Isaiah? Isaiah overheard it. He overheard God the Father, God the Son, saying... Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And you know what Isaiah said? Here, my Lord, send me. send me." Now he's a prophet. Was there a specific mold? No. No. Do you know who God is looking, what God is looking for today? Just somebody who wants to serve him. Somebody who has a heart inside says, "I just want to do what God wants me." To do. And you know what happens after that? God will make you what you need to be, where you need to be to do what He wants you to do. The rest is up to Him. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's just a heart. If you come to God with a heart to do what He wants you to do, where He wants you to do it, He will do the rest. And thankfully, there's no mold you have to fit. There's no background you have to have. There's no family lineage that you have to be a part of. You can come to Him right as you are, and He'll use you. Aren't you glad? Yeah. Amen. Father, I want to thank You tonight for the truth of this. It seems so strange that within the order of the birthright that Esau was passed over and Jacob was there now in the lineage of the Messiah. And we know there's much more to this. But we also know and we see through your word that God, you will use anyone who will just put themselves out to you, allow you to use them, allow you to change them, and mold them and make them what they need to be for the job you've called them to do. Whether it's just knocking doors on a Thursday night, being equipped with the gospel for those you come around, or driving a church bus, or working in a nursery, or teaching a Sunday school class, or playing an instrument, or whatever it may be. And Father, I'm so thankful that we don't have to have the right background to come from you, to come to you and to be used by you. So thankful for that. Lord, I just pray that you're you use us, and that we'd there would be a, an understanding among your people here tonight, that Lord, if they have a heart and a desire to be used, God, you'll use them. I pray we'd all have that heart. Would you help us in that? Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand tonight?